Hi there, and welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. Our vision is to find sanctuary in Christ and then to be sanctuary to each other and express sanctuary to this city. And so for us, success is loving well, one person at a time. And if we can help you in any way, please do feel free to reach out, jump onto our website, sanctuarysf.com, and we would love to connect. Anyway, back to the podcast. Well, last week, Josie looked at the previous passage to the one we're looking at today in Mark chapter 2, and she really took us into an examination of the um, famous and profound phrase that Jesus said, where he said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And the context was that Jesus scandalously had called uh, Levi, the kind of cowardly traitor, the national traitor, who was a tax collector, to follow him. And Levi had, and then Jesus was hanging out with all of Levi's tax collecting slash sinner friends. Um, And Jesus, when he's explaining to those who are watching the smug Pharisees who are self-satisfied and conceited, he he uses this phrase about, you know, it's only sick people who are attracted to a doctor. And he's, he's basically saying to people, you need to know you're sick if you're ever going to be someone who wants me, the doctor, to be involved in your life. If you think you're healthy, then you're never, ever going to um, come my way. And I, I just want us to hold on to that summary, really, because um, it's such a, a, a very insightful uh, phrase and metaphor that Jesus uses that comes back again and again in many of the uh, subsequent stories. And uh, today we're going to read the next few verses where Jesus is questioned about fasting. So Mark 2, verse 18 to 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, as long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. See, no one sews a a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. I want to speak today on learning to long for our Lord. Learning to long for our Lord. The, the obvious kind of subject here is fasting. And as is often the case with Jesus, um, he doesn't outright reject stuff from the Old Testament, but he reframes it. 
he reframes it a bit like the Sabbath. You know, uh, the Jewish people fasted on the Saturday, and Jesus doesn't say the Sabbath is no longer relevant. You know, Christians now f- celebrate the Sabbath, but it's on a Sunday um, because it's celebrating something different to them. For, for Christians, it's celebrating the belief in a resurrected Messiah, whereas the Jewish celebration is different, and that's why it's on a different day. Same name. Similar idea, but being reframed. And this is why we see in this passage, Jesus is wanting to do something similar with regards to our understanding of fasting. He's like, listen, you're talking about fasting. I want to talk about fasting, but it's going to be a bit of a challenge for you because that word is helpful, that practice is helpful, and you're going to do it. But it's going to be different. It's going to be new. And just as... This idea of a new patch on an old skin um, is really important. Or new wine into an old wine skin is is really helpful. That kind of tension that those pictures illustrate is is going to be a little bit of of the tension you're going to feel as you transition from seeing it in one way to a new way. You see, the Old Testament summary of what fasting was about was that you did it when you'd done something wrong as a nation or as an individual. That's an oversimplification, but it's pretty accurate when you've done something wrong. And so it was about guilt and shame and yourself, basically. New Testament fasting that we learn from this passage and other passages seems to be not so much about when you've done something wrong, but it's about when you long for someone who has gone. It's about when you long for someone who has gone. That's very different to doing it because of doing something wrong. It's very different to guilt and shame and self-focus. This kind of fasting is about longing for someone who was here and you wish was here, but is no longer here. It's two ingredients. It's got both the component of a love-sick sorrow, but also a eager excitement for Christ. So let's look at those two components and why I would say um, they are phenomenally important parts of uh, our Christian life and the the church. And I think we have probably lost both those elements, the lovesick sorrow element and the eager excitement sorrow, because for many of us, we do not fast. Or if we do it, we do it with an old mindset rather than this new way that Jesus is introducing. First of all, then, Fasting speaks of and sort of stirs up, first of all, a lovesick sorrow because the groom is gone. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the groom is with them now, but he will be gone. You see, it's natural when someone you love goes for you to fast. You don't have to be told to fast, to stop eating. Your appetite's instinctively change in your body when relationally and emotionally there is a loss at the time of this recording in the last week or so there's been a terrible shooting in texas uh, in uvalde and uh, over 20 people have been massacred in a school and you don't need to tell anyone in that part of the world you know uh, to not eat i'm sure that no one is feasting, or very few people in, in that part of the world is. I'm sure no one 
who's directly connected with those who have been have been taken away, have lost their lives, uh, are eating in a normal way or operating. There's something about pain that we're meant to feel in situations like that and it affects our appetites. Even when you're physically in pain, if you hurt yourself or you're sick, you normally immediately lose your appetite. And there is this pain um, that when we feel in life, relational pain or physical pain, that affects the affects what we consume. It just does. And even when I fell in love with Josie, first of all, many years ago, and she went away for a few weeks, I remember, just not really wanting to eat a lot. You know, and even now, if our kids, one of our children go away, I we feel it, and we you know we still eat, but meal times of sort of lack a certain joy and appropriateness when we're all together. It feels different, and and so when someone is gone, it's natural that things like appetites and fasting and intake change. Now, obviously, the point that Jesus is uh, responding to this question. He makes the point that at this moment, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? It's a very brilliant point. You know, uh, he's almost, you almost imagine him sort of like uh, sitting back with a chicken bone in one hand and a glass of wine in the other. And like, what you've been waiting as a people for this bridegroom. And by the way, the, the, the idea of a groom in the Old Testament was always synonymous um, with God. So he's like, he's implying God aka me i am with you after you waiting a thousand years and the dead are getting raised and the lepers are being healed and forgiveness of sins happening it's a it's a good thing i'm here it's great news how can you possibly be somber and serious in talking about fasting you know the absence to quote john piper the absence of fasting was because of the presence of god and you know it, it's like he's smiling with a twinkle in his eye saying it's totally inappropriate. This is a stupendous time in world history. God himself, the Son of God, is on earth. But, he then says the bombshell, but he says the bridegroom will be taken from them. And then on that day, they will fast. So here we go. He's introducing future fasting. But with this interesting frame of reference, this vision that you fast because the bridegroom has been taken. Now think about that. You see, in any, you know, many of the films we've all seen in Hollywood, when shock of horror of horrors, the groom doesn't show up, and the bride is standing there in her in her wedding dress, and the news comes in, the groom's nowhere to be seen. You know, it's awful, and she feels um, disorientated. She feels vulnerable. She feels confused. She feels sad. The deep sense of loss. The one thing she can't do is just pretend everything is normal. She can't act as if everything is. It's clearly not. Now, here's the key thing. That is the picture that Jesus is giving us to help the Christian church, the bride, understand the reality that the groom is not here yet. Not in the fullest sense when he does when he will return one day to planet Earth and make all things new. And it, it's, it's almost laughable. You know, the one thing that that bride could not uh, forget is that, or act as if everything's normal. And yet we try to do it. The church acts as if 
everything is kind of as it should be, particularly in the West. If you don't really suffer any persecution, if your life is probably very comfortable, it's very easy for us to forget that the groom's not here and things are not as they should be, which, by the way, is a very good illustration of how sick we are and yet we do not realise it. How crazy is it? Um, you know, we would if that bribe was like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. He's not here. I'm fine. You, but no, 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 no. You can be honest about this. I know that this is this is a big deal. But we pretend he's it's fine, or we get used to it. We're meant to notice that he's not here. We we're meant to notice it and say it's not okay. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I am grateful for the presence of the Holy Spirit beyond words, and I'm grateful for the church which the bible says is the the body of christ but being honest if i had the pick of either hanging out with one of my friends from sanctuary church or the resurrected jesus i would pick the resurrected jesus and i'm sure they would do likewise the other way around i.e he is not here in the fullest sense and we're meant to feel it like a bridegroom who has left the bride for a season, we are meant to feel the shock of that picture. Things do not work without the groom present. There are certain... I was at a party, in fact, recently, and uh, a friend of mine um, had called many people to this um, cool club uh, in a basement in Chinatown in San Francisco, and we all got there on time, and there was a band, and there was a free bar, and there was food... But the, the 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 main guy who brought us all together was actually incredibly late. He was about an hour and a quarter late. And that first hour and a quarter, it just did not work because he wasn't there. We didn't really eat any food. Uh, we didn't really want to drink anything. No one was dancing to the music. Now, when he turned up, it was a roar. There was a cheer. People came out of hiding. Um, you know, and any of the sort of slight awkward tensions between us, as none of us knew each other, the only reason we were there, because it was our mutual friend, suddenly melted. We were like high-fiving each other and scoffing food and dancing away and wiggling around. The party instantly made sense when he was there. Before it, it was awkward and strange and time was dragging. Friends, this is the time that we are in now. The groom has not yet come to the party. And we forget that. And the problem is that has massive implications. And therefore, you see, when we fast, we are physically doing something that reminds us of that feeling that I said at the beginning, we naturally feel when someone dear to us does go. We've all felt it. We all felt that connection between loss, pain, and the reducing of appetite. Oh, I want this person to be back, to be here. I want this relationship to be normal again. And it affects our appetite. And when we choose to fast, we are voluntarily, literally using like a technology, an external physical technology that goes to work backwards, as it were, on our inner spirit and says to us, hey, guess what? This physical feeling, ring any bells? Does it remind you of those times when you have longed for someone gone? Yes, of course it does. Tom, you're meant to kind of feel that now. Every time when we fast, you know, we go through this cycle in the day where, like, why am I hungry? Oh, yeah, I'm fasting. Why am I fasting? Oh, yeah. It's kind of like Jesus isn't here and I'm 
the feeling I'm getting in my stomach is, is, is that same feeling of when I do miss someone, when I am lovesick and they're not here. And I kind of should care. And, and, I, and I end up using that to, like a prayer. God, grow in me more of a desire and longing for Jesus to return. We're doing a physical thing to remind me of an actual reality I'm very quick to forget. It's been pointed out that um, fasting is the counterpoint to communion. You know, when we fast, so when we break bread, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. So we eat to remember. When we fast, we, we don't eat to remember. Um, we are using something to enable our inner being to line up with the reality that there is this almost loss sense of this world is good but really broken and Jesus doesn't walk on planet earth and he should and and I think I think this this kind of spiritual practice is a kind of tool for the soul it, it feels like it's something that grows us in in a grounding and it slows us and it, it's almost like it weakens us it weakens us in a really helpful way so many of our problems in life are because we are rich in spirit and jesus says blessed are those who are poor in spirit i.e those who understand you're weak you're weak you're fragile tom you, you don't realize that because you're pumped up with caffeine you're pumped up with too much sugar you're pumped up with technologies that tell you you're god when you're not you're just a weak man loved but weak and when i fast my body it, it's a it's a gift of a reminder that I am weak and I I miss him and I need him and this world doesn't make sense. I think in many ways the loss of fasting for many of us in the Western Church means that many churches have lost really an ability to kind of lament, to lament ultimately the fact that Christ is not here, and therefore this world is profoundly broken. And because we have lost our ability to lament, we've kind of lost our soul. The church, in many ways, is just all about like spirit. And don't get me wrong, I'm not using spirit in terms of capital S, Holy Spirit, uh, you know, biblical use. I'm saying, I'm saying that as humans inside, you know, we have small s spirit and we have soul. And soul speaks of, I think, that kind of different part of us that is deeply connected to our bodies and really souls grow in pain and so if the church has lost its ability to lament therefore it's lost its soul and therefore it's kind of lost its relevance to a world that is in pain you see if we are not able to have soulful lives where we are able to sit with people in their pain without trying to fix it which I know is so hard. The church has ceased to be salty, and it, the church has ceased to be the place that people want to go to when they're in pain. And I think one of the keys that this has happened, and we've become a kind of frothy, hyperactive, um, almost like a, a record that's stuck on loop, um, and just, you know, almost a caricature that everything's fine, I'm great. Which, which is obviously not the entirety of the gospel. Paul says we're, he was sorrowful, 
yet rejoicing. And so for us, we need to be those that realize when we think about the horrors of the gun crime in this nation and the division in the US and the wars happening in the world and the just the plethora of church leaders and organizations that have fallen morally over the last few years, we should lament. And not just lament and um, and use fasting to help weaken us, but it, it also wakes us up. Jesus repeatedly said, wake up, wake up. And I think when we there's something about it that just kind of almost physically and spiritually cuts through the kind of lethargy many of us feel, particularly in the States, where we have more food than we could possibly ever eat, which almost just as it physically makes you sleepy, it can spiritually make you sleepy. And the Christian life is serious. It is meant to be, you know, it's joyful, but it also includes a seriousness. Lots of the metaphors that are used imply a certain kind of uh, self-discipline. Paul says to Timothy, you are a soldier, you are a farmer, you are an athlete. Now, all of those three metaphors are very clearly saying stay focused, work hard, and keep above reproach. And these things require, I think, a kind of seriousness to life, not just a kind of a literal or a metaphoric gorging on the comforts of this life that leads to us being absolutely out of condition in terms of godliness and unfortunately i know this is something i am absolutely prone to um i hate pain and i love food and i love stuff i am very gluttonous by nature but that works against me living in the reality that jesus is not here yet and there is there is a seriousness to that that I need to understand. And when I fast, I am keeping myself in the reality of the gospel, the good story. What is the reality story? Well, the reality story is that Jesus is coming back. He loves us and that this existence only makes sense in the face and company of the resurrected Christ. I was recently talking to someone I love and we we're getting into a bit of a conversation heated conversation about money and they were like hey don't tell me what to do it's my money i can do what i want with it and 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 i was like well yes in in a way but you know um and and, and there was this sort of like what they were saying kind of sounded true and like don't you trust me uh, i've worked hard for this but there was something in my soul that was like this isn't quite the whole picture and I happened to be fasting on that day. And as I thought about it later, I realized, or not even later, just in the moment, actually. the fast. Why am I fasting? I'm fasting because I'm longing for Jesus to return. Oh, yeah, he is going to return. And actually, he, it's his money. And I said this to the person with a certain boss. I said, can I be honest? It is not your money. It is Jesus's money. And he is going to ask you to give an account for how you have stewarded his money. It is a big deal. And he loves you. He's for you. He wants you to bless yourself. But he also wants you to use it. And if it starts making you like Gollum and saying, this is mine, this is mine, I tell you, it is terrifyingly dangerous. And as I said this, I could sense, I think, uh, truth being told. The key thing was, it happened to be a time when I was fasting and the fasting helped me to live 
in that moment of decision with an awareness of what the gospel, the good story, including Christ's return, accountability, um, would say for this practical moment. So it, it's, it speaks of, fasting speaks of and stirs up a lovesick sorrow that the groom is gone and we need to live with a heightened uh, deliberate sense he's not here but that isn't that isn't going to be forever because the second thing I think that fasting speaks of and stirs up is a kind of eager excitement that the groom will return the other main time in life when we tend to not eat is when we're so excited right you know I remember as a little child before Christmas I was so excited I couldn't eat much during the whole day I certainly couldn't sleep and I think it's part of being a good child, you know, a child who is a child and not just cynical, um, is this sort of wonder about things that are yet to come. My youngest poppy is forever excited about her birthday. I mean, literally, you know, hey, Dad, it's only 341 days to go. You know, she is constantly eagerly leading into the upcoming excitement of, of the event. And I think this is why Jesus is talking about uh, a new wineskin that's got to be so flexible. This new wine of Jesus is going to expand our emotions and going to expand our sense of who we are. The, you know, the old us is just this sort of vanilla, anemic person. But when Jesus is in us, we start to expand. We go down deep into sorrow and lament more than we ever would. But we also go up high into joy and excitement as we start to think Jesus is literally going to return. He's literally going to return. And this is a thing of joy. And that's why actually Jesus um, in Matthew, he says, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will be not obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. It's almost like a very different feel to the approach to fasting. Oil, water, fresh, you know, there's a sort of joyful um, waking up of, of, of our countenance that God is wanting to do because we're getting ready for the greatest day that's ever going to happen. And it will actually happen. It's meant to bring us a tremendous sense of life. Now, I confess that most of the time I don't walk around longing for Christ's or, or aware of even Christ's absence, that the groom is gone. But I tell you what, as I've thought about this and I've fasted a bit more than usual, I have found it does not take much for me to start to imagine this world with Jesus actually physically back, which is such an obvious thing to do but I was out walking in a park near me John McLaren Park recently and I was walking along a path on one side of like a valley and I and as I was thinking about this and I was fasting I suddenly found myself imagining just imagine if Jesus was just walking having a walk you know in the new creations the new creations version of John McLaren Park walking the other way towards me in his resurrection but resurrection body and, you know, as I pictured it, he was looking down, lost in thought. But I, I could anticipate any second he was going to look up, see me, wave in his Jesus way. Hey, Tom, great to see you. Good to bump into you. And I found myself, this, this sense of, like, joy started to bubble up. 
that actually, yes, of course, of course, basically this is actually going to happen. I'm not saying in John McLaren Park, but but maybe, but that that the Christian hope that we eagerly anticipate is for the longing of the Lord. It says in 2 Timothy, in fact, you can turn there if you want, Paul says this. 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the, the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I love that. You see, Christian maturity is is meant to be us increasingly longing for his appearing. Not just believing it or pondering it, but a longing. Paul is saying true, mature Christians are marked. One of the greatest indicators and questions to ask yourself is, am I actually growing in a longing for the appearing of the Lord? Am I growing in that? Because it is something that marked Paul out and he was excited about it and it carried him through so many other things. Yes, I'm fasting. Yes, there's no bridegroom, but that groom is going to return and we are going to lip our lips. We're going to eat together and have the marriage festival feast um, of the marriage supper between the lamb and the bride, between Jesus and his church it's gonna happen that greatest of meals is actually gonna happen and and i i need to live in the reality and i get to live in the reality that just like a child who is so excited he doesn't want to eat when i fast i am reminded that actually as great as that is there are greater things coming even more than food you know jesus says my food is to do the will of him who sent me it's a sense in which even Jesus was like, man, food is great. But as Christians, there are times when we can deliberately abstain from food and use it as a, as a, as a tool to remind our bodies and our spirits and our souls that, man, yeah, that kind of um, lack of desire to eat because I'm so excited, man, that is who I'm meant to be and called to be and more and more will be as i get older and it is absolutely the desire of god i i was recently uh, at a thai restaurant with some friends and i tell you you know it's been a hard time for everyone but as we all walked into that restaurant and we smelt that food and i deliberately not eaten all afternoon because i was excited i didn't want to ruin my appetite as we walked in and we had our first sip of beer and our first appetizer oh my goodness the joy in that room as we finally tucked into a meal that we'd put in the diary into the, into the calendar weeks and weeks earlier. It was absolutely electric. And, you know, all the troubles of the day, all the troubles of life were just melting away as we ate, as we drank, as we laughed, as we caught up, as we listened. It was just a genuine slice of heaven. And this, my friends... This is this is the hope that we as Christians have, that this day is surely coming, that God 
loves this world. He loves this earth. He hasn't given up on planet earth. He's going to renew and refresh and radically heal planet earth. And we will live in resurrection bodies with a resurrected Christ on a resurrected earth. And we can, t- we, we can take so much encouragement during the battle of this life that Aslan is coming. He is coming. I, I love how the, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, one of the last scenes in it, if you know the film, is Peter and others are battling, battling for their lives. Which kind of feels like life to be honest with you. They're battling, battling. And unbeknownst to them, Aslan has come back from the dead. And there's this incredible, uh, just couple of seconds shot that just, just, I just weep every time. Where you have one moment, you have the battle raging. And then suddenly, there's Aslan. He's not just resurrected, but he is running. He is running as fast as he can to the battle. And he is, it's, it's as if he's saying, hold on, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Man. Friends, as Christians, we can rejoice knowing that Aslan <laughs> is on the move, that Christ, Christ is coming. And this painful, tragic, sad, lonely world that's empty without him will one day be filled. And this world, as great as it is, in a sense, is black and white in comparison with the technicolor brilliance that we will one day experience for those of us who know Christ. And we can take comfort knowing that this is a story. This is a good story, the gospel. This is the the news, the story, the announcement that we need to live in again and again. And as we fast, we learn to long for the Lord. We learn to stir up an appropriate lovesick sorrow because the groom is not here. But we also learn to live in the reminder, the physical reminder, that we've tasted, particularly in our younger years, of that excitement, that eager excitement, because something unimaginably wonderful is just over the next hill. And we just need to keep going, keep trusting, in order to see it.